0: great to be here with you for the continuation on this series on uh, conflict resolution. Last week we began uh, with a message on peacemakers versus peacekeepers, and um, today we're going to be looking into the topic of start taking me seriously. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for being in your house today, Father. We thank you that we get to meet with you and we get to experience the kingdom of God, Father. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that when we enter in the kingdom of God, when we stand in the kingdom of God, there is liberty, there is joy, there is freedom, and there is life. And Lord Jesus, so in that context, Father, we bind every spirit of distraction, we bind every fear and every darkness in this place, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we thank you, Father, that we get to hear things which would inspire us to live deeper for you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, amen. So today we're going to be looking at... um, Start taking me seriously, and I guess the title kind of begins to communicate something of that. It's an insight in how we begin to understand the dynamics of fear and of anger and why they are mechanisms or methods by which we seek to engage in our environment. You see, when we engage in anger and the use of anger and fear, we are operating in a system of control and system of manipulation that is completely contrary to the kingdom of God. So today's message is not going to be about how you can get other people to make you less angry, five steps to keep keeping this angry giant appeased, or about how you can start to self-manage so that you, instead of blowing up 50 times, you only blow up one time, but when you blow up the one time, it's of biblical proportions. This is a message rather about how when you meet with God, when you step into his kingdom, it so changes you from the inside out that anger and sin that results from your anger are no longer a part of the way you interact with the environment that God has placed you in. We're going to start with a reading um, from Genesis on the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis 4 and verse 3, for those of you who are making notes, and I'll make more of an effort to pronounce very slowly my scripture reading so that we can take notes on that. But Genesis 4, verse 3 through to 8. And in the process of time, It came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? and if you do not do well sin lies at the door and its desire is for you but you should rule over it now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass with, when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his, against Abel his brother and he killed him now I want you just to think for a moment about Cain Cain is in the field Cain is laboring he is tilled the ground he has got, you know, see if you're a shepherd, all you do is you put your sheep out and they just eat the grass. But for a, a, a farmer, you have to till the ground. You have to turn up the fallow ground. You have to prepare it to sow seed. You sow seed, then you're going out tending to that crop. You're watering it. You're nourishing it. And then you're looking for the day when you get to harvest that crop and you get to bring it in and give a gift to the Lord. He's labored. He is, in his mind, done well. I don't want you to think about how you would feel if God said to you, I don't respect this offering. I think it's very easy for us all to begin to identify with Cain when we begin to think that after all I've done, after all I've poured into this situation, you're not respecting that. And especially for a man, Cain was experiencing something very profound. God was disrespecting him. Or so he perceived it to be. This verse and this passage, we're going to come back to it intermittently through the message, but it speaks to the core needs that are at the center of every human being. Your identity, which drives your need for love and for acceptance, and secondly, your significance. What is your destiny, purpose, and the responsibility that you are to carry? Why did God reject Cain's offering? Was he rejecting Cain, or was he rejecting the offering that he brought? Why did Cain have to go away and do something in order to be accepted? Why did God say, if you do well, will you not be accepted? When he'd already done something. He'd already poured his heart out into the offering that he was bringing. And why did God's perceived disrespect lead him to kill his own brother? Rather than face up to what was a failing on his part. I wonder if you think about... A circumstance, any circumstance, any situation that you are facing that you're up against today. Often subconsciously that there are, there are two needs that will always be challenged. In this situation, am I loved and accepted? And how does it impact my destiny, my purpose, and my responsibilities? And the answer to our perception of how these two core beliefs are being challenged will lead us to begin to take an attitude where we need to assert ourselves in a situation And say, you need to take me seriously in this situation. And ultimately, a number of actions begin to follow. I'm going to be in charge of this situation. I'm going to take control. I'm going to ensure that my dreams, my goals, my life is protected. Even if I have to destroy you getting there. That's something that wells up on the inside when we begin to see that potentially our destiny is being compromised by the actions of the person right in front of us. And as we begin to take those actions, there's a few options that open up. One is the worldly direction, and one is the kingdom of God. And if you take the actions of the world on, then you lead to a compromised future one that is away from the plan of God for your life and ultimately ends in death, or godly actions, which ultimately lead to life. Now, I'm not talking about a question of whether we lose our salvation. Or not, because I believe that, and we believe in this church that once you put your faith in Christ, He so transforms you by giving you His Holy Spirit that you don't lose your salvation. Once the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you, how can you take that? How does, He promises never to leave you or forsake you. If His Spirit is not removed from you, then how can you lose your salvation? You can listen to other teachings on that um, to get a, a view on how we teach on that here. But I'm talking about the experience of life. The experience of the day-to-day, do we experience the kingdom of God, or do we experience destruction all around us? And you might think it's quite hard to distinguish them as such, the world which leads to sin or the uh, way of God which leads to life, because God can work all things together for the good of those that love Him, but He calls us every day to sow according to His kingdom, because one, the way of the world, is a kingdom of darkness, but the other, the way of God, is a kingdom of light. The one that is of the world is based upon rules which define your behavior. The other is based upon a relationship with God who defines you such that you can live a life which honors him. I'll begin to explain it in a more detailed way so that we can begin to come to grips with it. I wonder if when you were a child, did you ever say this, my dad is stronger than your dad? Did anyone ever say that? can seem like a bit of an innocuous statement. Sometimes it's just pride in the the heart of a child concerning how great he thinks his dad is. But mostly, as people begin to grow, they use this type of a statement when there's somebody that's not as behaving as you would want them to behave. When they're breaking your rules. And hidden in that statement, my dad is stronger than your dad, is an understanding that begins to grow even in the heart of a child. And that's this, if I can scare you enough, I can get you to do what I want you to do. See, in the heart of the child being told, my dad is not as strong as yours, fear of punishment begins to spring up because he's thinking, well, I wonder if my dad really is going to get beaten up by your dad. And if my dad really did get beaten up by your dad, then he would come and give me a good hiding for making him have this fight on my behalf. So I'm not going to say anything about my dad, just in case, because I don't want to get punished. I don't want to be on the receiving end of a losing fight, especially if your dad didn't know Kung Fu like my dad did. See, that child is bringing out something in, in the environment that he's growing up in. He's, it's something that he's learned from childhood. See, his parents, when he was at home, would tell him, you do what I say, or you get the wooden spoon or the naughty seat. Any of you get the wooden spoon? How many of you got the naughty seat? How many of you got the cane? You're so bad. (laughs) Hallelujah. We're in company of uh, people of experience. And so that child begins to grow up, learning that the way he or she gets what they want out of an environment, they use fear and control to get on top. The big people, the one with the power, tell them what they need to do and if they don't do what they need, they're told to do, they get punished. So they begin to understand that the way they get on top is, if you break the rules, I'm going to come at you with all I am. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to explode. I'm going to make sure that I put you in a place of submission to the way that I want you to behave towards me. And then as that child begins to grow, he also begins to become aware of the dream that he has for his life, he or she has for their life, the way that they want life to be. And the way that we then begin to ensure that the dream, the life that we desire, comes to, be, comes to fruition is we use fear. We use anger. We use control to disempower the people around us so that we can get on top. So that we can get to the place of the dream that we want to live. You even, even have that in religious circles where people say, you must or else God will be displeased with you. Hidden in that statement itself is a fear of God, which is not the fear of God which is described in Scripture. It's not that we must submit in a, in a disempowered way before the God of creation just because He's all-powerful. That's not the way the God of Scripture operates. And I'll begin to open that up for you shortly. And at some point, that child begins to see that he is master of his destiny. He hits a point in his growth where he's growing this way, and, you know, for the guys who stop somewhere short of that, that's why you get short man syndrome. But that's excessive. It's making up for a lack of power in, a physical, in an environment because of physical stature. That's when you have people that explode a lot more powerfully because they know that they have to come at you stronger because of pot- potential physical defi- uh, deficits on their part. Jesus isn't the heightist. Jesus doesn't discriminate against people based on height. Remember, Levi was sitting in the tree, and he said, Levi, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your house for dinner. Forget everyone else. I'm coming to your house. You see, we grow up this way. And when you hit a certain point for the guys, then you begin to grow this way as well. Shoulders, hopefully not, this way. And in that kind of environment, your ability to exhibit strength is what gives you the control of your environment. If you don't behave how I want you to behave, I'm going to knock you out. If you don't do what I want you to do, well, I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, we can take this outside if you'd like. Or for the more cerebral, and for the ladies as well, if you don't get into catfights, it becomes a battle of the minds. And the biggest commodity in psychological warfare are secrets. You know, I'm going to find out something about you. I'm going to find out something that you wish nobody would know. And I'm going to be the one to let the whole world know. I'm going to be the one to expose your secrets to the world. And you get this statement, don't you dare do anything that I don't want you to do or I'll tell everybody what I know about you. I'll tell everybody the secrets that I have that you've been doing. It's one of the biggest mechanisms of control in an environment defined by the rules so there are different mechanisms fear, anger, manipulation being, being willing to expose secrets that lead people to make certain decisions to compromise who they are to compromise the path that they're following because of fear what's the worst thing about somebody exposing a secret about you? why does it hurt so much? Why do we resist it with everything that we are? Why are we most violent in our communication right at the point when our weakest points are being tested? We get so angry about the things that people could expose about us simply for this reason. You're not as good as you've been pretending you are. See, that's the issue right there. When you feel out of control of your environment, when you've started to try to control others with anger that produces fear, when you're fighting with pe- for people to take you seriously, and when you have no meaningful relationship with God, your fundamental issue is you've lost the most profound connection with who you are and what you're here for, or you've lost connection with your identity and with your influence or purpose. How can you as somebody that's lost connection with yourself require acceptance from somebody else when you don't accept yourself? And the problem with developing a world, developing a system where you're in control but you've used anger and manipulation to get there is it's all an illusion. Everything can be taken from you in just a moment, especially when they find out what the real you, who the real you is. And the biggest lie that keeps us locked in this place is it's your problem, not mine. You've abused me. You've helped shape me into the person that I am today. You just need to get to grips with who I am now. And you just need to deal with it. Instead of recognizing that whatever you've experienced, no matter how traumatic, the only one who can get you out of this current position is you, taking responsibility for yourself. See, recognizing who you are today and what you actually believe about yourself it's the key to begin to step out in the power of the Holy Spirit to see transformation happen in your life. And so with that said, I've got a lot of respect for you who come to the 2.30 regularly because sometimes it's really fun but uncomfortable for me when I preach because everybody gets so nervous that you can hear a pin drop because they don't know what I'm going to say next. They don't know whose secrets I'm going to st- Who told him? Why is he preaching about me? my... F- You know, I've had people who've come for the first time and they come up to me and say, I I really enjoyed coming to church, but I'm not talking to my friend who brought me ever again. Why is that? Because they told you all about me (laughs) for my first trip to church. So I've got a a lot of respect for you. But you're here, I believe, because you believe there's something more. I think you want to see more of the kingdom of God realized in your life, amen? And it's meeting with God, meeting with our Creator which begins to position us to restore that fundamental profound connection with who we are and what we're here for. I know what I'm talking about when I talk about using anger and fear as a means of manipulating your environments. Because when I was younger, I grew up in the the Bronx of a little village in Warwickshire. And a a large part of my self-worth was tied up in a constant competition with the fellows at school. Who can do the craziest thing? Who is willing to say something bad to the teacher? Who's willing to blow up the chemistry lab? Who's willing to steal something from somebody else? But you see, I was so good at it that I wasn't the one that never got caught. I was one of those guys who would get other people to go and get themselves in big trouble. So when the teachers, the adults saw me, big cheesy smile on my face. And they're all thinking, Gabriel, yeah, you rat pack. You got me in trouble. But you see, when I came of age, though, and started to go out drinking and going out on a Friday and Saturday night, I stepped into my own in a much more outspoken way when it came to forcing people to do things that they didn't want to do. See, every single Friday, I would be the one calling people. Lads, who's out tonight? No one. No one. We're not coming out. We're not coming out. We're not coming out. We're not coming out. Half an hour later, everybody was coming out because I used all of the means necessary. What, you're a pansy? What, you can't come drinking? What, you, you, you're staying at home with your parents or something? What, you're not one of the guys? All of these mechanisms to get people through peer pressure to get them to do what I wanted to do. And when I'd get them out, I would make sure that they got as drunk as they could possibly get. And then things that would happen, were things that were in a sense things that I'd influenced, but they were not for the benefit of everybody. See, I didn't know my purpose. And so I derived my sense of identity from my ability to pull a crowd together for an aimless goal of getting drunk on an evening. And the fruit of that attitude was really dangerous. A lot of people got so drunk that they ended up in hospital, they ended up in violence, they ended up with broken relationships because they broke trust when they were drunk. All in all, that, the fruit of my influence in that situation was tending towards death for a number of people. See, the fruit of the world always leads to death see there I've told you a secret about me it's liberating because I know I'm not perfect far from it but I'm pursuing Jesus I'm willing to grow can any anyone identify with me on that does anyone know how liberating it is to share a secret about yourself yeah no one wants to put their hand up <laughs> they know I'm going to try pull them off on the platform and make them tell everyone We see we're not perfect why don't you look at your neighbour and say you're not perfect <laughs> 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 now all of you did that with a lot of joy in, in your heart and on your faces but One or two of you were like, you really aren't perfect. (laughs) See, we're not perfect, but God loves us. Our Father in heaven loves us. See, when you allow somebody to control you with anger and with fear because they could expose you, they are putting themselves in control of your life. The way you disarm them is by opening up about who you really are. So though they might come in to try and ruin your reputation, the people they're trying to talk to are already your biggest fans. Because they know you. They know where you've been, they know what you've experienced, but they still love you because the Father has shown them, them love and they've decided to love you as well. And so when you find yourself in that environment, you disempower the person that comes with fear and with anger because you've already walked in openness towards those who are most important to you. You're no longer a victim. You are placed in a position where you're protected above, below, left, right, front and back by people who love you, especially your father in heaven. And see, what began the road for change for me was meeting my father. See, my father, when I had to uh, get, well, I came for an encounter, I was away uh, this weekend away with the church, which is what we do, freedom weekends, on a regular basis. And in that encounter, God put me on my back and used the most simple words that I understood. Why are you being an idiot? And as I began to recognize that I was being an idiot, I was in the church but still getting drunk Monday to Saturday. I sat in this church with a, out with a hangover, with black eyes, with everything. God spoke to me, why are you being an idiot? And I recognized the truth of what he was saying and he started to transform me. How do we leave behind the anger? How do we leave behind the way of manipulating and controlling our environment by exerting ourselves? with psychological power or physical power upon other people. Let's come back to Cain and Abel. But God did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And so the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Cain had labored over his gift, and God's disrespect spoke to the core of Cain's being. You would be tempted yourself to think, God is so unfair. You might even take it to the next level. Actually that just sounds exactly like the angry God that I know. Why are you telling me that anger is not the method of bringing in the kingdom of God, when all through the Old Testament we hear that God was angry? And if God gets angry, then sure as heaven, I can get angry. And we justify that statement with this, I'm righteously angry right now. Just like Jesus was when he cleansed the temple, I have risen up in righteous anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Ephesians 4 verse 26. See God's anger is not the same as man's anger. See we use anger to control. Does God do the same to us? No. He cannot sin when he gets angry. It is incompatible with his nature. He is God. He is pure. He is holy. Therefore his anger must be perfect anger. And he sends that same challenge to us. Be angry but do not sin. In this scripture that I just read to you. He's calling us to imitate him. To demonstrate the life that he lives. Yeah, but scripture speaks about God being wrathful. It's right there in scripture. God's wrath is poured out. But it's important that we get this right. God's anger is perfect. And it is not used to control us. God's anger is poured out on that which controls us. God's anger is poured out upon sin, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth with unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. See, the father's heart is towards Cain. The father is speaking personally with Cain about his offering. He's fathering him in this conversation. Sometimes preachers make the point that Abel's offering pleased God because it was a sacrifice animal, whereas Cain's was the fruit of the ground. How could Cain have got it right? Should he have taken some grain and bought an animal from his brother to make the same sacrifice? See, he was a tiller of the ground, yet Abel was a a shepherd. Why would he trade in his life's work in order to follow a religious observation, to give an animal as opposed to fruit? Is that what God is talking about here? That would mean for us today that we'd have to quit, give up our jobs and join the ministry just to give the correct kind of offering. I don't believe that that what that's what God is ta- calling us to. And He says, "Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted?" Is this something that Cain hasn't done? Because he's done a lot. He's worked really hard for this offering. The key is in this verse, if you do well. Hebrews 11 says, "Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him." When we do our hardest, when we work to give our best and bring it to God and say, "Accept me," we could probably hear the same thing that Cain heard, that God doesn't respect it. Because God accepts us on his terms, not upon our terms. It would make me angry to hear that God disrespected me. But God is saying something very profound to Cain. If you had faith with your gift, you'd be doing well. Because if you were giving in faith, you would remember that you are already accepted see faith is faith in a father in heaven the one whom we cannot see who has welcomed us into his kingdom and given us the title of sons and daughters given us freedom from sin given us an inheritance in the kingdom faith properly understood is to understand that that we are put our trust in a good father who has already accepted us If you do well, will you not be accepted? The doing well was to come to God in faith. The father was calling out of Cain his identity. He was calling out his true nature. A son of God or daughter of God is a man of faith. When you don't move from faith, that's when you begin to step into this position of disconnection, being disconnected from the person that God is calling you to be. And Cain's lack of faith is what caused him to forget how much his father loved him. So in this situation, because he'd forgotten about how much his father loved him, all he could do was be angry. All he could do was take out his frustration. Why? Because God doesn't love me, and now I'm responsible again for my own destiny. And so I need to become angry. I need to take back what has been taken from me. Abel, my wretched brother, has stolen from me what was most important to me, the affirmation of the Father. Yet it had never been stolen from him. It's because he'd stopped, to walk in, stopped walking in faith with the Father. And so in that place where faith was absent, Cain made a decision. Sin was crouching at the door. Sin was crouching at the heart of Cain. And he began to try to take control of his future by taking control of his current circumstance. He killed his own brother who had taken from him what he most coveted. Can you see why God's wrath is poured out on sin? Because sin. Cain's decision to sin caused him to be separated, not just from the Father, but from his destiny. When the scripture talks about God's wrath is poured out upon the unrighteousness of men, his wrath is poured out on that which keeps you from him. He's not trying to control you. He's trying to destroy that which is controlling you. He's trying to bring you into a place of freedom. He's trying to bring you into a place where you can walk fully in your identity and fulfill what God has put you on this planet for. See, Cain rose up in anger, and anger never produces what you desire for it to produce. It produces destruction. I don't know anybody who's ever got angry who can look back at that situation and say, well, that went well, that was awesome, let me give myself a pat on the back. Look at how good that person feels right now. There's a big smile on their face. There's tears running down their face, you know. They look so happy. No, they don't. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I want to ask you a question today. You who are searching for significance for your identity in the wrong places, is the significance that God gives you sufficient for you? Is it enough? For you to know that the Father loves you and that the Father has a plan for you. Is that enough for you? It's difficult because you can't see God. And most times you don't know where He's taking you, you're just following blindly right now. But is that enough for you? Because if it isn't, you're going to quickly find yourself trying to take hold of your own destiny. Trying to take control of situations. Trying to impose yourself here and now so that you get the outcome which you desire. God wants you to know that His significance that He attributes to you is enough. That's why He gives us such simple invitations as ask and you'll receive. Why? Because He wants you to know that you're a son, that you can ask your father and that you will receive. Oh, but you know, I've been asking for a Mercedes-Benz. Well, you know, that's probably associated with your sin desires. You want to have a flashy car to drive around and pick up ladies. Why would God give you that? But when you ask the things that God wants for your life that are good for you, He promises that He will pour them into your life. He promises, ask and you will receive. Before God, His view is the title of son and daughter of God should give you all the significance you need so that you don't need to be angry in this situation. You don't need to impose yourself in this situation that you're facing today. Why? Because God has the big picture inside. God knows where he's taking you. The one who is there at the beginning and is gonna be there at the end, the one who has the plan and the dream for your life, he's the one that gives you significance. Where in the flesh you would seek to control right now to cling to the dream you desire and most definitely destroy it, now you're in the kingdom of the one who has the plan. And his call to you is to trust the plan and live out kingdom values today. So his responsibility is your destiny. Your responsibility is today in this situation. How am I going to bring the love of God to bear? How am I going to stop moving from anger and instead move from a place of service and love? A change of heart is what's required to establish this kingdom in your life. No anger held in reserve. No using anger to overcome anger. No, if you are bad enough, then I'm going to bring out the big guns. As we covered in the past few messages, love always. Love always. Love always. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In 2 Timothy 1 verse seven. And so when it comes to the environments we're building around us, and especially let me focus on cell environments or church environments, if we deal in fear, if we deal in anger as a form of motivation, that is a complete travesty in the kingdom of God. It has no part in the kingdom of God. It's worldly, it's not kingdom. Oh, how do I know if I'm moving in anger and manipulating people in my cell group? Just look around. Do people talk in your cell? Or are you the only one talking? If you as the leader are the only one talking and everybody's sitting in silence and they don't want to open their mouth, it's because they're afraid of you. Because what you're bringing out is anger in your communication. What you're bringing out is fear. See, fear and anger, they destroy relationship. Love and mutual encouragement with truth promote relationship. Your responses, your frustration, your moments of flaring up, they detract from the revelation of the Father that you're bringing to your cell group. What's the solution? Live from the place of who God says you are. Because cell is about releasing people into their purpose. So you as a leader, or you even just as a person in your family, are called to begin to release life, to release people into their destiny, to, into their purpose. The destiny of being a disciple maker, the destiny of making a change for God's glory. In a loving, open environment, you won't. people in that environment will not turn to avenues of manipulation in order to receive something from those situations. And it doesn't mean that we become soft. It doesn't mean that we become weak. If you ask any one of my guys, and they've all, they're all hiding today. No, Max is still here. They know that I tell them straight, and I'll tell them tough, but they also know that I love them like my brothers, and that we're in the context of relationship. See, softness is not an attribute of the kingdom of God. It's not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Shying away from truth for the sake of relationship That's peacekeeping, like we covered last week, not peacemaking. But you see, when you bring the truth in love, you begin to open people to the destinies that God has prepared for them. And when you start to do this, when you start to manifest love in your life, when you start to not bring anger to your communication, when you start to not bring judgment to your communication, but instead bring love, you'll see that things get messy. See, because right now, there's a lot of people that sit in church and just never tell you what's going on with them. They just don't tell you. They don't tell you they were with prostitutes or drunk or they woke up in hospital or they woke up in prison. They won't tell you these things because they think you're going to judge them for it. And so as you make an environment where they can begin to become open, it's no longer an angry environment where they can to begin to trust, you'll find it's messy. Remember, we're not perfect. But we're walking towards God. We're pursuing God. You know, I had a friend. They... Came to me and they were really scared. They thought that I was going to cane them for what they were telling me. And they began to share how they'd gone gone to an ex-girlfriend and got back into a relationship with them. And they were just like, "I can't tell Gabriel because, you know, he's the leader of the 300. He's going to, you know, get out a spear or something and or a sword. Iron sharpens iron." And he couldn't. He felt like he couldn't tell me. And I sat down. I just looked them in the eye. I listened to everything they had to say. I said, God still loves you. I'm still your brother. We're going to get through this. And they were like, what? What? I'm not accepting your sin. No. But I'm accepting you. See, if this was about anger, if this was about control, I would kick you out because you just disrespected the 300. Do you know what I mean? We're trying to go for God, and you're going around messing things up. If that was an angry position in my heart, that's what I would have done. But I believe that the strength of myself is in our ability to show Christ to one another. And so I shared with him, and he was like, dude, I can't believe you've spoken to me like this. Within a couple of weeks, on fire for God, pursuing Christ, living for God, freedom in his heart. It requires grace knowing your Father. It requires forgiveness. It requires our ability to challenge one another to step up to who God is calling us to be at all times. And you'll find that that's what Jesus did. Jesus released people into their destiny as they followed Him. Instead of pursuing your own dream, why not begin to align yourself to the dream that God has for you? Why not begin to set aside the old way of doing things, seeking to look after your own and trying to impose yourself on your environment? Why not start to love like Jesus said to love? Because in loving, you're preparing and going the way of the destiny that He's prepared for you. You're going the direction that He's called you in. That take me seriously, cry for significance, is turned. I no longer need to get significance. I am significant with God. And let me go tell people about the significant one. Let me go tell people about the significant one, Jesus Christ, who's made a difference in my life. And you see, then when you're speaking on behalf of God, a whole different authority comes on you. See, there's the authority of the world or it's the authority that the Holy Spirit puts upon you to call people into the kingdom of God, to speak into their lives, to look them in the eye and to say, you need to know your Father. You need to know your Father in heaven because Jesus Christ died upon a cross for you. He died so that you might know God. And his kingdom today is present. It is right here. It is right now. I'm speaking to you for those of you who don't yet know Christ. Today his kingdom is right here, right now, available for you. Jesus, in his kingdom, it brings a kingdom of power. He brings a kingdom of healing, of miracles, and mostly of life. Why life? Because he frees us from that which controls us. He frees us from sin. His kingdom brings you into a relationship with God, where your sin is totally forgiven. For those of you who want to receive Jesus, I can announce to you today, by the authority of the Spirit, that your sin is is forgiven you. Not because I'm saying it, but because Jesus said it. 2,000 years ago for you, if you don't know Christ, He said it. It is finished. Your sin is forgiven. If you're here today and you don't yet know Christ, I want to give you a simple invitation. We're going to pray together. At the end of our prayer, I want to ask you to stick your hand up in the air and say, yes, I want Jesus in my life. I'm tired of having to get angry to get my own way. It's not getting me anywhere. I want the kingdom of peace, the kingdom of life, the kingdom of truth. We're going to pray together, church. At the end of this prayer, if you want Jesus, I want you to slip your hand up into the air. Father, let's pray together. Father, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Jesus. the The one who has taken all of our sin upon the cross. We thank you that Jesus made a way for us to know you. And you promised us peace. So Father, today, we turn from our sin. We step into your kingdom. And we ask you for your peace. In Jesus' name. Just keep your eyes closed for a moment. If you prayed that prayer, and you don't yet know Christ, but you want to step into his kingdom of peace. Just slip your hand up into the air right now. Do it boldly. No one's looking. Do it boldly before God. Thank you, gents. Thank you. Anyone else? I want to know Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. There's four of you so far. Father, I just pray for these people who stuck their hand up in the air. And Lord God, we announce to them, I announce to them by the authority of His Spirit, that they are forgiven as they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you, Father, that you would release them, Father, into new leases of life as they begin to walk with you. I thank you, Father, that they would see the provision that you've made for them, the dream that you have for them, and that they would no longer fear or walk in anger or walk in control of their environments because they are free to walk in love because of what you've done for them. Father, I pray that this day would be the first day of the rest of their life. You'd lead them deeper with you and release them into your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering. Just to say for those of you who did stick your hand up in the air, there's someone standing by you. They just want to spend a quick moment, give you a copy of a Bible. It won't take very long, uh, just two minutes, but it would be great if you could spend a few moments with them. Thank you for the rest of you. I hope you're challenged to stop trying to exert yourself upon your situation, but rather live as God would have you live because he's in charge of your bigger picture. Um, We're going to continue this series next week. Esteban is going to be here with us on restoring broken trust. But at the next service, Colin is here uh, with a message on discovering your prophetic ministry. A really powerful message, especially for you. So do uh, stay for that. Also, for those of you who are interested, next Sunday at the 7 o'clock, Robert Slairden is back with us, and he's going to be ministering then. So do look forward to that. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day, and see you soon.